We study billionaires, and this is episode 92 of The Investor's Podcast. Broadcasting from Bel Air, Maryland, this is The Investor's Podcast. They'll read the books and summarize the lessons. They'll test the waters and tell you when it's cold. They'll give you actionable investing strategies. Your host, Preston Pish and Sting Broderson. Hey, how's everybody doing out there? This is Preston Pish, and I'm your host for The Investor's Podcast. And as usual, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Stig Broderson, out in Denmark. And I'll tell you what, folks, hold on to your hats, because today's episode is going to be a blast. That's all I can say, because we have a guest on our show today that is going to just be a so much fun for you. You're going to be laughing. You're going to be taking notes. You're going to be doing all sorts of things. But today we have an insanely successful guest on our show. His name is Mr. Jesse Itzler. Jesse is the owner of the Atlanta Hawks basketball team, and he's the founder of the 100 Mile Group. So Jesse's well known for being the founder of Marquee Jets, which was one of the largest private jet card companies in the world. Well, it still is because it was sold off to Berkshire Hathaway, which is the parent company of NetJets. And Jesse probably got one of the coolest starts in business that I've ever read about. And as you guys know, Stig and I read a lot of books here. So this is probably one of the coolest starts because Jesse started out as a rapper in the early 1990s. He had a single that made it into the Billboard 100. And he even wrote songs for, get this, Tone Loke. So I'm sorry, but that has to be one of the coolest backgrounds I think I've ever ever uh, announced (laughs) on the show there, Jesse. So recently, Jesse decided that he just didn't have enough excitement in his life and they needed to shake some things up. So what does somebody do when they want to shake things up in their life, but go out and hire a Navy SEAL to live with you for 30 days, not only live with you, but train with you and just you know beat your physical body into oblivion. And so Jesse documented this experience in a book that, we, that Stig and I just recently finished reading, and the name of the book is Living with a SEAL. Stig. What are your initial thoughts about this book? And and Jesse's just sitting here smiling and laughing because (laughs) he doesn't know what to say with our intro here. But that book was crazy. It was so much fun. This book was like, you know, we're used to reading about intrinsic values and discount cash flows. And Stig, what's your your one word comment for it? Unreal. (laughs) (laughs) So appreciate it. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking your just precious time to talk with us and to just teach our audience about business today. We're going to be talking business. We're going to be talking your time with uh, SEAL and all this stuff. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. It's my pleasure. And your theme song, your opening theme song made me want to jump through a window. It got me so fired up. <laughs> it's like, like a business investor version of Rocky. It is. That's what we're shooting for. Maybe we need to change a little bit of the motto and work some of that in there. But that's exactly what we're going for. You know, and our mission statement, number one is we have fun. Number two is that we study billionaires and all the books they read. So that's that's what we're going for with the show. Jesse, when, when I first started out in business, a guy by the name of Bob Silliman owned a company called SFX at the time, public company. And uh, he said to my partner and I, when we first sold our company to him, our first kind of hit in business. He said, we got, he says, the three things that we do here, we have fun, we make money and we have fun making money. I love it. I don't know how people can go about their, their day and do something that they're not having fun and that they're not passionate about, which, 
we have a question on that, which we're going to wait to get to a little bit later. Right. But, but I completely agree with you, Jesse. So the first thing we want to do is we want to kind of open this up to you to tell people a little bit about yourself, maybe something that we didn't really kind of hit in the highlights there in the intro. But ultimately, how did you, after you give that little intro, how did you decide to hire a Navy SEAL to live with you for 30 days is our first question for you. Sure. Well, just a little bit about me. I had a very uh, non-traditional route in business, very unorthodox. I was always into kind of building a life more than building a resume. So I always kind of really followed my heart. As you mentioned, I started out in music. So I was in the music business as an artist, as a manager. I managed Run DMC and a lot of the old school rap guys for a while. And then I had a private jet car company. I ran 100 miles nonstop for charity was a partner in Zico Coconut Water that we sold to Coca-Cola and most recently became an owner uh, of the Atlanta Hawks with a great group of guys and friends. So I'm enjoying that. And what happened with the Navy SEAL, you know, it wasn't planned like a lot of things in my life. This wasn't planned at all. I was doing a race in San Diego. It was a 24-hour running race as a relay team of six friends. So, you know, like Preston, you would run a mile, Stig would run a mile, I'd run a mile. And whatever team ran the most miles in 24 hours won the race. There was a guy at the starting line right where we had set up that didn't have a relay. He was his own relay. He had no <laughs> on too. Our supplies, we brought them all in. We had, you know, bananas, a masseuse. I had just sold Marquee Jet. We, had, we overdid it. And this guy to my left had three items. He had a fold-up chair, one bottle of water, and a box of crackers. 24 hours. And I looked at it and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way. And after mile 70, sure enough, he had faced the, the toll of, of that, you know, took effect. Because of his weight, he had broken all the small bones in both of his feet, crushed them. And because he was only eating crackers, he had literally a kid, kidney, uh, kidney failure. So he sat down in his chair, his fold up chair at mile 70. And I watched this guy with his, you know, his feet were completely jacked up. And the first thing that said that came to my mind was we need a medic. And what did he do? He basically taped his feet with duct tape or whatever, got up out of his chair with his broken bones and ran another 30 miles to get to a hundred miles. <laughs> so I was like, so blown away. I Googled him. I learned that he had an amazing backstory. He was a Navy SEAL with you know, an unbelievable journey. And I decided to cold call him. I wanted to just meet a guy like this, which is a theme in my life. When I meet someone interesting, I try to get in touch with them or meet him or bump into him in the street or whatever. I flew out to sit to, to meet him for 15 minutes with no agenda other than just kind of pick his brain. And about five minutes into my life, into our conversation, I realized that like, you know, whatever got this guy to get up out of his chair and run with broken bones and finish this race, whatever that drive was, if any of that rubbed off on me, business, in my personal life, training, in my relationship with my family and my wife, all those buckets would be better. Yep. So I, I literally just reached across the table. I said, you know, would you ever, would you ever come live with me for a month? And uh, he said, if you're crazy enough to ask me to do that, I'm crazy <laughs> enough to come. And three days later, he was at my breakfast table. Wow. So that, I mean, so here's the thing, Jesse, I have a background in the military and I've worked around these guys. I know these guys. And I was reading your book and I'm thinking this, even for that 
crowd that you're talking about here, the SEALs in particular, and even, you know, you get into some of the other obscure special operations forces that are out there. I was reading some of the stories and I'm like, this guy is hardcore. Even for that community, this guy was a standout. And your story, I mean, to go 70 miles and to be, and I mean, to literally see this. Yeah. He, I mean, that's crazy. Just two seconds on his background. He's known as probably the toughest guy or one of the toughest guys on the planet. He's known. He broke the Guinness Book of World's Records for most pull-ups in a day. He did 4,030 in 17 hours. He has set multiple records endurance in endurance sports and races. He lost. He was 300 pounds. When I saw him, he was 285. But, you know, he had a really tough childhood, African-American guy in a predominantly white and not accepting town. So he was ridiculed as a kid, lost his self-esteem, gained all this weight, joined the military because he just hated the reflection in the mirror and what he was becoming, wanted to turn his life around. And then when he lost some friends during some military stuff, he decided to raise money for the kids of the fallen soldiers and Google the, the 10 hardest things in the world to do and literally transformed himself into probably the best endurance athlete on the planet and really mastered the art of mental toughness. And, and that's what I was looking for when, when I asked him to come live with me. I wanted to get in great shape, but I wanted to apply what I learned to work, to you know, all the challenges that come at all of us every day. And Jesse, speaking about endurance, the first time your wife Sarah saw Seal was at the Badwater Race. It's a race you considered to participate in, but something your wife also called the dumbest thing she ever heard of. So, <laughs> could you please tell us about the race, about the participants, and more importantly, give us a brief introduction to Seal's personality and mental strength? It's a great question. So, the Badwater is a race through Death Valley in the heat of the summer in July. So the temperatures can get up to 135 plus. I think it starts at the lowest at like ground level and then go the lowest point and goes to the highest point or one of the highest points, Mount Whitney, like 13,000 feet of elevation. And it's 135 miles through the desert. In fact, it's so hot that many people, the soles of their sneakers melt. So they bring multiple pairs of sneakers. So in any event, the field is limited to 100 sickos that run this race. <laughs> it's considered the, the toughest foot race on the planet. That's what it's coined. And I was debating running it because I felt like to be a runner, you know, which I consider myself, I've done multiple marathons. I wanted to do the toughest race, you know, so I could say that I did it or at least attempted it. So my wife, having explained this to her, said, I'm not letting you do that until I go out and see the race. So during our summer vacation, we flew out to Vegas, drove you know two hours to Death Valley to watch the race. There's no one out there. There's no spectators. I mean, it's on a straight line, 135 miles through the desert. So we parked like 30 miles into the race. And one by one, these guys are, are passing us. There's three different start times. And you would think that they would be exceptionally look, exceptional looking athletes. But the reality is they're just incredibly mentally strong humans that have the will to do this race. So it was almost like it balanced out. Other than the elite runners, the difference between those that could survive the elements and finish and those that couldn't was simply those that had the will and were most mentally tough. So we're out there cheering people. And, you know, as these runners are approaching us, they're thrilled to see another human on the sidelines. So they're high-fiving, they're <laughs> celebrating us. 
And then all of a sudden, this robot machine, shirtless, comes over the hill in like a full gallop. And my wife goes crazy and she's cheering him. And, you know, and, and of, the, of the hundred runners, he was the only one that didn't look up, didn't react, <laughs> didn't even acknowledge us, just went right by. And my wife was like, who in the world, what was that? And that is what moved into our apartment. <laughs> hey, it's just, just a little context for the people listening. So uh, Stig was referring to Seal. And that's how Jesse refers to him in the book instead of his first and last name. And that was at the request of Seal uh, that his name wasn't disclosed. So that's why we're referring to him as Seal uh, as we're talking about him. And I also want to throw out there. So uh, Stig was talking about Sarah, who's Jesse's wife. So just a little context on Sarah. So Sarah's a billionaire who is the founder of Spanx. And for you know any guy out there or, or any girl out there knows who Sarah Blakely is because of this, the Spanx brand. And any guy out there, you have Sarah to thank for what she's done. So uh, I just want to throw that out there. But when we go into the next uh, part here, the next question that I have, Jesse, and it really you're, you're hitting on this theme of mental toughness and it really being the mind that's that's really kind of setting people apart. And I, I liked your comment, your comment about when you're out there and you're looking at these people, they don't necessarily fit the typical look of what you would think a runner looks like. It's really a test of just mental strength. So I think one of the key variables for people, and and this is kind of my experience from, you know, going to a service academy and just kind of going through maybe a, a milder form of what you're describing. Because I'm telling you folks, if you read this book, the things that Jesse went through for 30 days was absolutely bananas. Absolutely nuts. Okay. So it's, it far trumps my time at West Point or any experience I had there as far as the the mental toughness that he endured for these 30 days. It was crazy. But the thing that I noticed from my experience of my four years in college and the, the theme that I saw in your book is that SEAL would always look internally for any mistakes or failures and never blame anything on his environment or the people that were surrounding him. I found that to be a, a very profound building block for people to become successful in life is to have that mental mindset to always look internal opposed to external when trying to discover why something went wrong. So that was one of my key takeaways, but I'm really curious from your vantage point, Jesse, you went through all this craziness. You went through this experience. What would you say would be one to three of the main points that you took away from these 30 days with SEAL? He had me go down and wanted to see how many pull-ups I could do just to gauge where I was at physically. And I'm not super strong. I got up on the pull-up bar and I did maybe eight. And he said, all right, wait 30 seconds and try it again. So I got back up on the bar and I did maybe six. And he started, wait 30 seconds and do it a last time. And my arms were completely like jacked up. And I maybe eked out like two or three and I was done. And he said, all right, well, we're not leaving the gym until you do a hundred more. And I said to myself, like, like, that's impossible. You know, like maybe in seal land, you can do a hundred. Like, that's not, I can't do that. And one by one, you know, I did them. And what I realized was that so many of our limitations are self-imposed, you know, and not just, you know, I said like, God, if I'm under indexing by a hundred pull-ups, like where else am I under indexing in my life? Yeah. You know, I had to like really like dig in and be like, God, I could probably do so much more at work. I could probably do so many more of the goals that I have. You know, maybe I'm not reaching high enough. 
So it was just like this whole concept of, I have so much more in my reserve tank. To that point, you know, he had a rule. uh, We call it the 40% rule, which I mentioned in the book, which is basically when your brain says you're done, you're really just 40% done. At the first time that we are experiencing any kind of discomfort or pain, our brain sends a signal to stop because our brain doesn't want us to get hurt. So that's the way we're wired. But when we ignore that tap on our shoulder, it says like, stop, because it's getting a little bit uncomfortable. God, this feels a little, getting a little challenging. I'm going to stop. Or, wow, I don't want to get into this business. This is, I don't, this is too much of a learning curve. Stop. When we ignore that tap on the shoulder and realize that, God, we're only probably, probably 60% more in us, that's when all the great stuff happens. So that was another really, really powerful message. It's something that I tap into as much as I can on a daily basis. You know, if I do, uh, and I'll use physical examples, but I could use this in, in any kind of investment, anything. For me, as an entrepreneur, I've always gone into businesses that I've had no prior experience in. And for a lot of people, that would be a deterrent. And for me, it was a deterrent at first too. You know, like, God, I don't want to get into this. This is, you know, I don't know anything about this. But it also became a great blessing because it guaranteed that I would do things differently. It guaranteed that I have to be more creative. It guaranteed that I would have to get out of my comfort zone. And Seal, as I refer to him, took it full circle because he constantly got me out of my comfort zone. And that's such an important thing in business, especially if you're an entrepreneur, just to live outside in this like space that is just uncharted is so important. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. 
The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. Well, Jesse, could you tell us more about this process? Because you're saying that you're only using 4%. You have 60% more in the tank. What's happening in your brain when you know, it starts to hurt and you just keep on going? Well, I think, I think I just refer to that as mental toughness, not motivation, not passion. I think that motivation can fade, passion can fade, but it's mental toughness. And mental toughness, grit, resilience, you know, it's like a muscle. You have to constantly exercise that your brain. You have to create an environment of when things get hard, I'm going to continue to go. I'm not going to quit. And by doing stuff that makes you uncomfortable, the way I look at it, I'm like, I'm just exercising my muscle. But by doing things consistently that suck, you can raise that bar a little bit. And once you raise it and you continue to exercise and you raise your set point, it never goes back down. So my approach is just let me push myself, let me, regardless of the outcome, success or failure, and let me just create this environment in my head that, man, I'm up for anything. I think an important part to this too, Jesse, is the culture that you place yourself in. Because for you, that first experience where you know you did, call it 10 pull-ups or whatever, and then he's like, okay, well, no problem. We're not leaving until you do 100. It was like 10 more than you ever even thought impossible by any stretch of the imagination. And then you did it. You know, you hung you hung around there. Now it might have taken you longer than what you thought, but then you did it. The culture that SEAL was basically creating for you allowed you to basically see this this hidden universe to yourself of a hundred pull-ups is possible. It is something that I can do. And I think when you surround yourself with people that have the ability to think and stretch their limits and to I guess, be hardcore like that and really kind of pull you along initially. Next thing you know, your mind starts adapting to that culture and you start thinking it and believing it and then teaching it as well as time progresses. And I think it's so important for yourself to surround yourself with people that are going to take you to the next level and not pull you down and tell you how hard it is. Without question. And, you know, drive is so contagious. So you want to surround yourself as much as you can with people that are on this, want to go the same direction you're going. And, you know, for me, and I can say this firsthand just because I, I, had the, I had that experience, but so I had the opportunity to live with inspiration for 31 days. So you're dead on surrounding yourself with people, putting yourself in that situation, because it's so easy to listen to people and be like, so many, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? I hate that because that's where I feel most alive. That's where I get the most reward. That's where I see what I'm made of. That's what gives me grit. You know, and that's what I can apply to other stuff, not just reading it. There's no magic. You can't will this stuff in. You can't just, it doesn't just say like, oh man, I want to do this and it's going to happen. 
It happens by a series of consistent events. It happens by failing. It happens by pushing the limits. And, you know, I didn't really get all that until I went through this journey. I had been doing it through my, you know, in my life because, you know, I think the greatest gift I gave myself early on, and I think it's one of the greatest gifts that anyone can give themselves, is getting over the fear of embarrassment. When you redefine failure as just, you know, not trying, uh, not giving your all, or, you know, being too scared to try something. So, Jesse, you were actually in pretty good shape. Whenever SEAL moved in, you have been running multiple marathons and longer races too. So even though that you're saying that it was to improve your physical state, you were still in a good shape. But SEAL still managed to take this to a whole new level. And I remember one thing from the book, and that was that at day 27, for instance, you managed to do 1,000 push-ups. To me, and I think almost everyone in the audience, this seems almost unrealistic to achieve. So I'm curious to hear about your thought process after living with SEAL because in your book, you say at the same time that he was doing 2,500 push-ups and you just talked to us about him doing more than 4,000 push-ups. You said that SEAL really taught you the appreciation of difficulty. So how has that realization influenced your physical training today, but also how has it influenced your personal and business relationships? Right. So let me just go back to the first part of your comment about when he moved, when, you know, when he first moved in and, you know, when he first moved in, I was in a routine, like so many of us, I'm sure a lot of folks listening today, you know, are in a daily routine and routines are great, but routines can also be a rut. So for me, you know, I was doing the same thing and it became such a routine that it was just that it was just like next day, next day, next day. I wasn't improving. So, you know, when he came in, and we started doing all these challenges. The first thing was I had to get out of my routine, change the way that I was thinking about things and approaching things. When he came, I could do 22 push-ups. And when, uh, when he left, I was doing a thousand a day. And he had a motto, every day we have to do something that sucks. And if it doesn't suck, we're not going to do it. And at first, and it sucked. Believe me, it all sucked. <laughs> but, um, but by around day 14, I noticed the shift. And what used what would be like, man, I don't want to wake up and do this again, man. I do not want to do this became, gosh, man, I can't wait to see what I can do today. To really get better, you have to go through in anything, in anything, a little pain, discomfort, and out of your comfort zone. I don't want to simplify this, you know, saying going from 22 to 1,000. But I'm actually curious how much of that is due to a different state of mind and how much can be accredited to you building up more muscle. And just to clarify, I went from, I did a thousand a day. So we broke them up maybe like, you know, a hundred in the morning, hundred, but still, it was still a lot. Thousands, a lot to do, especially for me. I'm not even at all remotely strong. I would say that 80% of it was probably mental. And let me just give you an example. When I started running, I was running three miles, not with SEAL, in my life. I was running. My goal was I was going to run for 20 minutes, 10 minute miles. I'm like, if I can run 20 minutes without stopping, that's an accomplishment. And then gradually my pace built up to nine minutes. And I was like, all right, let me get to 27 minutes. That'll be three miles. You know, and then my goal was time was 40 minutes. And then ultimately an hour three. Cause I'm like, that'll be a seven, seven miles and a nine minute pace. Let me get to an hour three. That three, that 20 minute run, which ultimately became three miles and 
gradually built up to 100 miles nonstop. And the biggest change wasn't like I was never during my 100 mile run. I was never more out of breath or my heart rate went up more than my 20 minute run. But it was the mental practice of convincing myself that I could do it. Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, spent more time convincing himself and visualizing himself that he could run a sub four minute mile than actually time on the track. You know, he had to make himself believe because no one had ever done it, that it was humanly possible. So if you were to ask Bannister, he would probably say, man, I like I spent more time training my mind than physically sprinting. That's so profound. And that's something that we talk about on our show a lot, because that's a common theme that we see with billionaires is that they spend a lot of time and it really kind of goes. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the book, Think and Grow Rich. And Talking about how do you train your subconscious mind to basically put these things into practice and to basically build this environment around you where you're able to accomplish what it is that you think about most. I always have a movie in my head. Okay. So I have a movie. I know how it ends. And let's just take the hundred mile run. Let's take marquee jet. Let's take whatever marquee jet. We're going to build this up. We're going to sell it. We're going to, it's going to work. That's the ending of the movie. I'm going to go to the, cross the finish line. I'm going to celebrate this hundred mile run. The rest is just filling in the script. The rest is just writing is the journey. But like you have, for me, I always want to know, like, this is where I'm going to end up. I'm going to get here, regardless of the consequences of my body. If it's a run, regardless of the commitment of time, if it's a business, this is the end of the movie. And now let's go write the script. And then you're like, listen, this is going to sound crazy. But since I'm 20, I'm a big basketball fan. Since I'm 25 years old. I always envisioned myself being involved with an NBA team. Always. I had no idea how I would get there. I had no idea, but it was just always a movie in my head. I couldn't see it clearly. And I didn't know who it would be with, who my partners would be or what team it would be. But I just knew that sometime in my life that I would be there and and that hopefully I could help move the needle for that team. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us because this isn't something, these aren't insights that, the typical person gets to hear from a person, a, you know, a professional sports team owner to hear somebody say that, to know that at a young age, some people a wouldn't say it. And for you to, to tell our audience, this is very profound because this is stuff that we talk about. And this is stuff that we tell our audience that this is how people like yourself think. And to hear it from you straight from your mouth is just really quite amazing for us to know that this stuff does work. To me, this was not only a book about living with a seal. The way I read it was also a book that compiled a lot of your life philosophies, Jesse. And one that was really profound was actually about fruit. And then people are thinking, oh, what's happening here? Why is Sticks talking about fruit? But I actually find it very relevant. And I'm curious to hear more from, from you, Jesse. Not just only why fruit is important, but also about how to use your energy. It's a great question. So, well, I read a book. I was you know, so lucky to read this when I was young. Before I ran my first marathon in 1991, I read a book called Fit for Life by Harvey Diamond, who's since become a good friend and has updated it with a book called Fit for Life, A New Beginning. And one of the main principles in the book is to only eat fruit until noon. I'm happy to go into the reasons why at a high level, it's because digestion uses more energy than anything else. You have a big meal, you usually get tired because your body is using so much energy to digest it. Fruit digests incredibly fast. 
very easily and provides all kinds of nutrients it's, and, and goodness. And in the book, it challenged the readers to try only eating fruit until noon to conserve, to maximize your energy to have, and be more efficient rather than having a bagel or bacon or eggs or caught that requires a lot of energy. I tried it for 10 days. I only ate fruit. And then I said, all right, I'm going to go back to my old ways. And when I did, I was like, oh my God, what a difference. So the first couple of days were challenging. In fact, maybe I went to 10 and maybe I went to 1030, but ultimately to 12. And then I felt so good. I have so much energy. I, I mean, I can't even explain it. I don't even know what it feels like to not have energy on a daily basis or, or to be tired or whatever. That I just 27 years later, I haven't gone back. You know, listen, I'm not a food scientist. I'm not a nutritionist, but I am a trial and error guy. And I tried this for me and it worked. It is relevant to investors, businessmen, and entrepreneurs. I'll tell you why. Because you, how you feel is a reflection of how you operate in business. If you're sluggish, tired, whatever, it's going to impact how you operate daily. Who wants to miss two weeks of work because you have the flu? You want to operate at optimal, at the highest level you can operate mentally, physically, spiritually. So I think it's incredibly relevant to anyone in business because you are your greatest asset. You know, you could be a billionaire on an island surrounded by Victoria's Secret models in Hawaii getting fed grapes and have a sore throat. You won't even care about your money or the beautiful women serving you grapes. You want to get rid of your sore throat. So I think it's really important that, that, you know, and it should be talked about. I completely agree with you, Jesse. And I think, I think it's also interesting to hearing your story because it's not the typical, this is how I made a lot of money. So I started my own shop and then I bought a bigger company and then I sold it. I mean, there are so many different, so many angles to include whenever you're talking about investing and, and living a, a good life. And I'm actually thinking about the story that Warren Buffett always tells that say that you're 16 and you can only drive one car the rest of your life. What would you do with that car? You would probably take really good care of it. And that's basically what you're saying. And obviously his metaphor is your brain. You should take really good care of your brain. And that's what you're saying about your body. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 
If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3500. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. And listen, for me, it's been, it's really changed the course of my life. And I recognize that it might not be the case for everybody. And, but for me, it's been a really good blessing for me. So Stig was hitting on a, a little point here that I think is really profound and important for people to capture. Uh, and this is something that you talk about in your book, Jesse. And that's this idea of you only go into business and do things that you're passionate about. Um, this is advice that we tell people. You know, We get the question a lot, like, how do I start with the business that I want to create someday? And I say, if it doesn't involve something that you're really passionate about, you're not going to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning to work on it or whatever the case might be. So tell us a little bit about your own personal experience with that and why you believe that you have to do something that you're really passionate about to be successful. You know, I think you do have to be passionate about what you're doing, but I think even more importantly, you have to be passionate about the challenge. So the passion about the product or the venture is important. But the passion about the challenge and the journey is more important. I love this new widget that I have. But if I'm not passionate about putting in the hours and learning and hiring my weaknesses and figuring out what I don't know and dealing with the obstacles that come my way, 
then the passion for the widget is almost irrelevant. So I think people get confused about the word passion and what that really means. That doesn't, just because you're passionate about your widget doesn't mean it's going to be successful or necessarily that you're going to like going to work. You have to embrace and the passion has to come with the journey to start, build, and bring to the finish line the widget. That is phenomenal. That's a twist. And I wouldn't really necessarily even call it twist probably isn't the right word for it. But I think that people can get lost in passion and passion, you know, oh, wow, man, I'm so passionate about music. I'm going to be an artist. And, you know, that can lead to a lot of frustration because that is just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, oh, man, it didn't work for me, but I was so passionate about it. Well, yeah, (laughs) because, you know, the passion is about the process. So Jesse, one thing that was not included in the book was what happened when you sold Maquis Jet. That's one of the largest private jet car companies in the world and the company that you co-founded. And then when you sold the company later and you did that to NetJets, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners would be uh, familiar with this company because it's uh, a Berkshire Hathaway subsidiary. Now, Jesse, could you tell us about the process of such a last transaction? We had worked, my partner and I started this company in 2000, 2001, and we had worked hard for nine or 10 years, you know, on it. And this was the right fit for us. But I will tell you that for me personally, if you didn't bring it up, I would never think about it. I don't think about it on a daily basis. Yes, it was a positive experience in my life. You know, it provided me with a lot of things, but I'm a big check the box guy and move on. So right after we celebrated it, but it was like, what's next? You know, like that was great, but it's in my rear view mirror and I want to have a really big front mirror, you know? So the process was like any transaction. It required negotiation, the, you know, a regular process, but the end of it for me, wasn't a big celebration. It was just like, I love the journey. I learned so much from it. I met great people. We put on to the next. What's next? I think it's interesting that you say that. Preston, I are reading a book about the Zappos founder. He's talking about how he almost felt relieved after he sold his company to Microsoft. And I'm curious to hear if that's the same feeling you had or if it's more, okay, we're looking forward. It was a lot of fun. But now on to the next thing. Yeah, I didn't feel relief or anything like that because I don't know if I mentioned this, but like, you know, it's never been for me about building a resume. It's about building a life and marquee jet and anything else that I've done have been part of the puzzle of my pie chart of my life. And quite honestly, regardless of the amount of time, as far as mental anguish or whatever, a small part, because my family is a big part. I'm a, my personal growth is a big part. My friends and family, all that stuff. And business, it was super important to me, but i didn't feel relief because I had all these other buckets felt very full to me. What was it like dealing with Warren? Was Warren part of the deal or were you dealing with other people during the sale? Small part, other people. But since then, my wife has become really good friends with Warren. I spent a lot of time with Warren and even most recently at the Berkshire shareholder meeting, multiple dinners. My wife did the giving pledge with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. So we meet every year at the annual retreat. So, so since then, I've got to really enjoy him. And you know what I love about Warren is obviously brilliant guy. You know, he can simplify, simplify complex questions and answer them so my six-year-old can understand them. But he's <laughs> hilarious. 
Yeah. He is hilarious. It's fun to be around. So, Jesse, one of my favorite sayings when I'm around friends and uh, people that, you know, obviously listen to the show and, and things like that, I like to say, make moves. That's like, that's my final statement that I usually say to people make moves, baby. And when I was reading some of your stories, like the one that you, you know, you flew down to get this, this sound clip for a Foot Locker commercial and just, I realized you're a move maker. You're constantly making moves. And so my question is, how do people that are listening to this that maybe aren't necessarily move makers, but want to be that guy just always making moves? Is that something that can be learned? Is that something that you're born with? Or is that something that you can, you know, develop over time by being around maybe a culture or whatever? I'm just curious to hear your opinions on this. I don't know. I think it goes back to the getting over the fear of embarrassment, you know, so which I, I didn't always have, you know, but once you get over it, try something and experience it, because, you know, if you don't do it, nothing's going to happen, right? So if you don't make a move, get on the phone, whatever, you know, the outcome. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't the guy that really necessarily felt comfortable in big rooms or this or that. Certainly not the smartest, but I realized anyone could just show up and that's when all the stuff happened. You know, guys are in this sending out resumes and mailing them or whatever. I was just showing up. And so for me, you know, that, that was a really, a, a really good thing to experience early on. And it just became a theme. And I think it it kind of goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, where you were saying that you had a hundred percent confidence. This is the way that the movie's going to end. And you like had this positive, you know, maybe the probability is like one in a hundred that it's going to happen, but you know what? Hey, I'm going to try. You never know. It, it might work out. I think people that have that mindset kind of have that move maker gene, if you will, at just pulling things off. I think so. I think you have to have a little bit of an, I don't care attitude. Listen, when I was younger, I didn't care about the consequences. I just wanted it so bad. I didn't have a B plan. You know, after college, I had really two things I could put on my resume. I was a kiddie pool attendant, and that's not going to get you very far right <laughs> out of college. And I was a rapper that really didn't do good. So I could almost say I was a failed rapper. So, so that being said, you know, you really don't have a choice. You have to, uh, you have to take those chances. And, and as a kid in your 20s, the consequences didn't, don't matter. So uh, my final question, Jesse, is that in your book, you talk about your love for reading. What is an influential book that you have read that has helped you become so successful in business? I'm going to have to go back to the book Fit for Life. You know, and I know it's a little bit odd on this particular podcast when you guys talk about you know, other things, but the, book, the books put me on the right course. And sometimes you think you're on the right course. And you know, if you're in a sailboat and you're sailing to England, you're going and you're going and you think you're on the right course, but your rudder's a little bit off. You end up in Africa. This book kind of put me right on the right course because my days got extended, my energy got extended, and I got more clarity around what was important to me. So as crazy as it seems, the most influential book in my life wasn't a business book or wasn't a motivational book. It was a book about health. If you have health, you have hope. If you have hope, you have everything. That's awesome. I love it. So, Jesse, uh, here's the deal. Stig and I, we study all these billionaires and we try to determine the critical habits and behaviors so that we can take that and put it into use in our own lives. Uh, and when we read your book and we studied your background, there was one thing that you had done that no other billionaire has. 
And so as a result, we wanted to demonstrate this new and critical behavior for you so we can follow in your footsteps. And if you haven't figured out what I'm referring to, it's our very own rap song. So here it goes. Here we go. Yo, my name is Preston Pish. We like to make our beats go really fast. We run a podcast. We have fun. We always have a blast. We study billionaires to give our fans direction. Now get up, get down, and hit me with the brass section. You know, what's your initial thoughts here, Jesse, on our on our talents? Do we have hope? From the beginning, our show has been bringing the smartest of the artists from the industry of money making. We try to find the facts. We always have your backs, but there's something that we're missing. And we're reminiscing when we got a billionaire, so you better sit and listen. Jesse Itzler. This dude is always making moves. He taught us in his book that it's all about our attitudes that get success and our best. We want to thank you much for coming on the Be Our Guest. Excuse me, pardon my interruption. Never stick bees, but it rhymes like eruptions. When I look at Jesse, I wonder how he done so well. There's one thing I see he knows, and that's the fact that dude can sell. It's not the jet, the hawk, or the fast car. I think he got his wealth because he started as a rap star. Very, very catchy. I just have to ask, Jesse, I know that you didn't sign 50 cents when you had the chance. Do you think you can afford not signing Preston and me? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, you should have seen our faces as we were recording that. It was just like, oh yeah, my! Had a blast doing it. Oh my god! The last two weeks—that's pretty much all we've thought about—is that song. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is really good, guys. So thank you so much, Jesse. All jokes aside, we we were obviously having fun with the uh, rap song there, but the the information that you gave our audience is just so priceless. It's timeless. It's stuff that people can listen to, you know, years from now and really gain some. Incredible insights. So thank you for your precious time and coming on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. Listen, I had a great time. I really appreciate you guys having me. All right, guys. That was all that we have for this episode. We'll see each other next week. Thanks for listening to The Investor's Podcast. To listen to more shows or access to the tools discussed on the show, be sure to visit www.theinvestorspodcast.com. Submit your questions or request a guest appearance to The Investor's Podcast by going to www.asktheinvestors.com. If your question is answered during the show, you will receive a free autographed copy of the Warren Buffett Accounting Book. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This material is copyrighted by the TIP Network and must have written approval before commercial application. 